It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. We're going to talk about, of course, the Microsoft Second Tuesday update, the uh, issues with the GoDaddy going down, Daddy. And he'll talk a little bit about OAuth, Oath, and other internet identification protocols. It's all coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. It's time for Security Now with Steve Gibson. This is episode 369, recorded Tuesday, September 11th, 2012. Internet Identity Update. Security Now is brought to you by Ford. Ford invites us tech geeks to join the conversation, submit ideas, and grab your tech geek badge at the social.ford.com website. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones, and even the people you hate online. When it comes to security and privacy, there's no one better than this guy, the explainer-in-chief, Steve Gibson, who plays no favorites. We're an equal opportunity protector. <laughs> hey, that Steve. is correct. Hello, Leo. Great to be with you again, as always. Steve is the uh, guy in charge of Gibson Research Corporation. They do a great piece of software. We'll talk about it later called SpinRight, world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. Yeah, no one's ever heard of it before. Nobody Leo, on so. this show has ever heard of SpinRight. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, does lots of freebies and so forth. But the, I think at this point, you may be best known for security now. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I think that's probably the case. 369 I, you know, episodes sort of, in. I figured out how hard drives work, and then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm bored. What, what, what else can I do? <laughs> that's, and, you know, I think that that's the blessing in this industry is that we, they got a, lot of, a lot of people who are easily bored. And, <laughs> and so we move on to other things all the time. Today, uh, we're going to talk about identity. Yeah, that's a constant recurring topic, not surprisingly, because... In my opinion, it's probably the number one most important aspect of security and privacy. And you know, the the you know we we come at it from the crypto tech side. We come at it from the best practices side and databases being compromised. And what does it mean if Apple's uh, UDIDs all get out? And you know, I mean, the whole issue of identity is crucial. And one of the things that I see in the mailbag coming from our listeners is because there's a bit of an acronym soup and because some of the acronyms are colliding with each other. We, we talked about oath and OAuth uh, last week. I thought, OK, let's just let's step back a bit and do sort of a where do we stand and who's winning? Because there have been competing standards. We discussed, for example, actually, we've discussed all of the these in episodes past, given them their, their own podcast. But it's clear now that we're seeing a winner. And so I thought, let's talk about the terminology, the the differentiate these, sort of carefully put them in the context of each other, which is something we've never done, and just sort of do, like, okay, where are we? 
And where does it look like we're probably going to go? I did, however, want to make sure everyone knew that we're going to have one of our rare special appearance, guest appearances next week. Um, Someone who many of us in the computer industry know by reputation. Uh, He's arguably famous, and that's Mark Rusinovich, who is... Uh, they was the co-founder of Sys Internals that was a go-to website for years when you wanted utilities that Microsoft, you know, wasn't producing that really drilled down. Mark has written a bunch of books. He, I mean, he's an inter, you know, an, an operating Microsoft operating system internals guy. And uh, we were all a little worried when Microsoft acquired Sys Internals. Uh, the good news is those tools have remained available all over on Microsoft's site. So they didn't disappear, and Mark has continued to maintain them. Um, the context for his appearance next week is to chat a bit about his his own change of uh, – well, not change of profession because he's still at Microsoft doing that. But he, he became a novelist, and uh, several months ago he sent me the – galleys, I guess you call it, of his second novel, Trojan Horse, uh, following up on his first novel, which was Zero Day. And Trojan Horse has become available, as I mentioned last week. Um, and so I thought, hey, let's, you know, let's get Mark on and uh, and chat with him. That about, should be uh, awesome. That stuff and, you know, where where the world is and, yeah. and, and what's happening. Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so news. Um, lots of news. Interesting things have happened this week for you and me to discuss with our listeners, Leo. Uh, the happily minor event was this is because because we're recording this on Tuesday. This is the second Tuesday of September, oh, which we're, right. we're normally always one uh, you know a day late for that. But in this case. Oh, well, and actually, this is, we ought to take a moment to note also that it's September 11th. Should have said something about that. So, yeah, yeah. we so uh, we moved the show because tomorrow's the Apple event, as we always do. And Steve was very generous and kind about that. And that puts oh, yeah. the show on a Tuesday. <laughs> Such a problem for me, Leo. I just sit in this chair a day early. So. <laughs> I think you're sitting there anyway, probably. Ah, uh, pretty much the same. <laughs> but I'm also... Just, I answer the phone when you call. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the difference. But also, yeah, you're right. And in fact, maybe it's more appropriate to do security now on September 11th. Uh, yeah. This is a, a day, uh, 11th anniversary, of course, of the uh, terrorist attacks on the World Trade yeah, actually, Center and one the of Pentagon. The, one of the um, main networks, uh, one of the cable networks, all over, I think it was on Saturday, replayed the oh, two hours wow. as it happened so of dramatic. their of their coverage mm. and oh it was oh wow i mean it was it was it's, something i think so. we've a lot a lot of us have kind of put you know you know this is what happens when something painful happens you just kind of uh, lose the memory of it and you don't want to be refreshed and boy when you when you remember it was just a horrible yeah. day horrible yeah uh what were we talking about <laughs> oh mark Rusinovich is going to be on that's good news it is ah, the yes. second and, tuesday of the oh, month second tuesday of the month yep. and it's a you know, I read somewhere, and this was not my observation, it was someone else's, but it seems to be holding, and I've shared it before. Microsoft seems to alternate big months and small months, and it's odd that it, or even, that it uh, 
continues he, to he, do I that. Get it. <laughs> but uh uh-huh. uh but last month was a biggie. It was one of those okay seriously you want to update windows now. And this one is uh you could skip a month if you wanted to. Um truly there are there's nothing critical. They have the only two patches they have are marked important. They're privilege elevation vulnerabilities, which affect uh, the Microsoft Visual Studio Team Foundation Server 2010 Service Pack 1 for developers. And, and then over on the server side, Microsoft Systems Management Server 2003 Service Pack 3 and Microsoft System Center Configuration Manager 2007 Service Pack 2. So actually, most people will do, who don't have those installed, Windows will go and say, you have anything for me? And Windows Update will say, uh, no. So I, don't, I think most people won't even know anything happened yeah. on the second Tuesday. Wow. That's, because, that's been a while since that's happened. It really has been, although... You know, if we average things out, you know, last month was, as I said, was a, you know, press update now month. And who knows what we've got in store for us for October. <laughs> right. So we'll see. But anyway, this, if if you wonder why your computer just cruises through the second Tuesday of the month with nothing wanting to happen, it's because the the very few things that were done, you probably don't even have installed on your computer. And so there's nothing to update in your case. I did want to also mention that uh, it seems that when we do the podcast and we talk about Java, the a, a problem gets solved the next day. And this happened again last week. We, of course, were talking about Adobe, or I'm sorry, Oracle, fixing the big Java vulnerabilities the day after the prior week's podcast, this time Apple updated Java for their platforms on the Thursday following last week's Wednesday podcast. So I did just wanted to, you know, note and uh, for those people who are using Java on Apple platforms that Apple fixed their instance also uh, in a, you know, a week after Oracle, but in a timely fashion. And that I certainly think Apple's doing the right thing with um, the measures they've taken to protect their users from Java being enabled all the time, even if it's not necessary and not being used. Then, the most interesting, eh, well, one of the two most interesting events of the week was the relatively massive outage at GoDaddy yesterday. Yeah, boy, did I see a lot of Twitter traffic on that. Oh my goodness, yes. It was it was crazy. And and now, you know, there there was some it wasn't the anonymous group, but it was a person claiming to be a member of anonymous took credit saying that it was um, you know, that it was an attack that he had launched. Um and Yeah, but you know, after the the FBI uh, database yes. thing of last week. I don't. I don't credit anything anonymous says. I mean, yep. they and are. It's in, in their interest to dis, disinform. Yes, and in fact, that's our next topic. We will. We'll come back to the UDID leakage, which you know, you and I were skeptical, and and as it turns out, rightly so. But in the case of GoDaddy, um, when I first saw Twitter begin to say something's wrong, I 
tweeted that there was apparently an attack of unknown, a currently unknown origin. And, you know, for example, GoDaddy.com would not, the DNS would not resolve. I, you know, oh, I uh, really my, for the main site. Yeah. Wow. And, that's uh, not good. And, and, and the, the report was that millions of sites that they're in some way responsible for. Uh, apparently, they run servers with MX records, you know, mail exchange records, which were not resolving. So email died for people who are using GoDaddy's MX records for, you know, as, as part of their service and people who are using GoDaddy to, to provide their DNS. I mean, GoDaddy was, was dark. And we, we've now heard from... Scott Wagner, who's the interim CEO, he posted earlier today, I think it was, he said the service outage was not caused by external influences. It was not a hack and it was not a denial of service attack. We have determined the service outage was due to a series of internal network events that corrupted router data tables. Once the issues were identified, we took corrective actions to restore services for our customers and GoDaddy.com. We have implemented measures to prevent this from occurring again. At no time was any customer data at risk or were any of our services compromised. Throughout our history, we have provided 99.999, the so-called five nines, uptime in our DNS infrastructure. This is the level our customers expect from us and the level we expect of ourselves. We have let our customers down and we know it. We take our business and our customers' businesses very seriously. We apologize to our customers for these events and thank them for their patience. So it now, was not hackers. Well, it was not hackers. It must be that this is true because... You know the CEO can't make this up, and because if it if it were an attack, there would be lots of other people who knew that. But what, what's what's curious is that this was six hours of outage from from 10 a.m. Pacific time to 4 p.m. Pacific time. That's a long time for you know some router tables being messed up to like. Because, because all of GoDaddy.com and all of their ancillary services to be – now, I mean, maybe it was just DNS. I mean, because, of course, as we've talked about, if DNS is gone, everything else is too because that's the way we get to everything. So, you know, I did not know what GoDaddy's IP was in order to, like, try to do a connection to them without DNS. And, frankly, I wasn't that interested in, in pursuing it at the time. But – um, six hours is ouch. That's a long time to be down. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, not yeah. TechCrunch is saying uh, that uh, uh, Tipster said that their three DNS servers, CNS one, two, and three dot secure server dot net, were uh, inaccessible for those six hours. Yeah. So, so that could be. Um, I mean, that's if you really wanted to DDoS them, that's what you'd do, right? You'd hit those. That's three exactly servers. what you would do. Yes, and and what I tweeted was that apparently someone tripped over a cord for uh, six hours. 
took him, you know, it took him six hours to find which plug was pulled. It's that's the problem Maybe. is they, they've got it. Okay, now where does this plug in? We gotta, <laughs> if you, know, you tripped over these... a cord in our basement, that would actually yeah. be the truth. <laughs> there's too many sockets. We got too many sockets and we got a plug. Not the wiring Russell, our IT guy, did. The wiring we did is <laughs> a little okay, so spaghetti-like. We uh, we did hear from. Uh, well, we, we did. We almost certain we believe that the data did not come from the. I'm sorry. The the Apple. The, all, remember that that we discussed it last week. Twelve million leaked. Uh, unique device IDs of all of 12 million of Apple's devices, iPads, iPods, iPhones. Every device that Apple produces has a 40 character unique ID, which Apple uses. I'm, I'm sure it's tied to iTunes and, and accounts and so forth. Unfortunately, the ape the official API up through five, but but fully endorsed up through iOS version 4, offered this UDID to any application running on any of those devices. And as developers will do, you know, here was a unique token ready-made courtesy of the API, which Apple was saying, here, this is a unique ID for the device. Now, one of the things that I'm taking away from all of this is is we're learning how to do this, how to do global devices that are connected. We're not good at it yet because this was a mistake. And we now, as a community of developers and device creators, we're learning, okay, don't do that. You know, and I mean, make it not possible. Maybe, for example, have the API which you query, produce a unique ID, which is different for every app that queries it. And so the apps still get something unique that, ident- that ties that instance to that device, but it doesn't give a, a leakable ID that is across all the apps, which is what we have had and what Apple with with the release of iOS 5 they said we realize this has not been this is being used in a way which could compromise our the the privacy of of owners of our devices we would like you to stop using it and then it was reported that in March they began declining new apps that wanted to use it so anyway that so that's the background and my sense is okay let's everybody should learn that that this this the, the idea of a of a cross application global id that's available is not something that that in the future we're going to do apple's going to fix it um if i don't know where android stands with that but if they've got something like that or other phones do it would be a good thing for everyone to just say okay this is not you know th- th- this is too much too much opportunity for compromise so, as we know, there was the claim, and we shared it on the podcast last week, that, I mean, with, with a, <laughs> the claim came with an awful lot of detail about exactly whose laptop and where it was and how this happened and so forth. 
apparently all nonsense. Um, the FBI denied that they ever had that data. And what happened was that a couple days ago, an independent researcher, uh, David Schutz, who he tweets as Darth Null, D-A-R-T-H-N-U-L-L, and he has a, a blog at Darth DarthNull.org. Um, and he's just he's a hacker and a security guy. And um, he he grabbed the million and one posted sets of data, which was, you know, the million and one were, were posted on Pastebin. I think it was out of all 12 million. And he, he, he was just sort of doing some data crunching, um, he, he like uh, looking to see kind of looking at the uh, at the UDIDs um and he he ran it through some filters to see if there were any repetitions and he noticed a surprising pattern that i think he was first looking at like eight digits of the of the device id and there was seemed to be a lot of dupes so then he looked at the entire device id and he found to his surprise some that there was a very non-uniform distribution and that some occurred far more often than most. And then when he drilled down and looked at the, at the human readable data, email addresses and, and, and names and so forth that were tied to those IDs, he saw a pattern and sort of, you know, peeled layer after layer of the onion and came up with a theory that one that that there was a that, that there was a very non-uniform instance of devices associated with one company called Blue Toad that has a site bluetoad.com and they are a company that provides <laughs> exactly what you and I have commented many times annoys us, Leo. These per site or per company iPad apps. So you know when you know you go somewhere and you get this window that comes up and says, "Oh, you would you like to get the app for this for us for our site?" You know, it's like, no, I want to browse on the browser. And as you and I have said, the browser is supposed to be the app for the site. Anyway. These guys are uh, are an instance of a company that creates that for companies um, for tablets and and smartphones and so forth. So essentially what happened was because they were because they were testing their stuff, many, many more of their device IDs appeared across their company than was normal. And so David contacted the uh, CEO of Blue Toad and said, you know, uh, something's funny here. He, he was being very responsible. He certainly wasn't going to point fingers before he knew for sure. And he said, uh, you know, what do you think about maybe you were the source of this, ma this massive 12 million record leak? And it took a couple of messages, then the, the blue toad guy got back in touch with him and thanked him for being responsible. 
And he said, uh, we're looking into this. We'll get back to you. And and then he got another call from the CEO saying, OK, um, I can talk to you, but I need your agreement to embargo what I'm going to tell you until Monday. That is to say yesterday from, you know, so September 10th, yesterday. Uh, and and David said, uh, OK, well, the fact that you're asking me to but you know keep this quiet until then tells me that i probably want to say yes so he said yes and he was he and then the ceo explained that they were sure that they had been the source of the leak uh they found the problem and someone with nbc news wanted to talk to david right now <laughs> and so david was on the news and explained you know how this happened and uh, now we know that, I mean, it's not inconceivable that the FBI might have had this as part of a, of a, of a, um, you know, like a copy of it. They might have already known that it had gotten loose, um, part of an investigation they were doing. We don't know why this claim was being made, but it's, well, it's, it seems that it's entirely bogus. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, this this group is not they're committing illegal acts. So why you would trust anything they say one way or the other is right. Right. And so I so so I think we need to remember that that what was an apparently completely bogus claim was made. And unfortunately, that hurts their credibility uh, in the future. And for a while, they were seeming pretty credible. Right. Okay. now. (laughs) This has been on my list to talk about for a couple of weeks, and I and I just it keeps getting pushed down. Um, many of us um, who use laptops enjoy the the finger swipe. The little um, it's U P E K U P E K is the is the manufacturer of the little capacitive fingers finger reader that laptops have. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, look, biometrics, that's got to be more secure than not, right? Well, turns out someone took a look at the UPEC software. And this is software which comes with Acer, Amoy, which is not a laptop I've heard of, A-M-O-I. Yeah, they're like at uh, Taiwanese club, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Asus, Clevo, Compal, Dell Gateway, my favorite, the Lenovo, uh, Itronics, MPC, MSI, NEC, Sager, Samsung, Sony, and Toshiba. I think there's 16 of them, if I remember. And um, their software is in all of those. The, the message is, if you have ever entered your password into this UPEC software in order to give it the ability to log you in, then your password has Mm. essentially been stored in the clear in the system registry. So it's not how they do the fingerprints as a problem. It's just bad software. It's, (laughs) yes. I mean, it's just like, okay, here again, our listeners that have been educated now as... registry. <laughs> I know it's apparently it's not quite in plain text, but you know 
it's reversed or it's the case has changed or something. It's something so trivial. I haven't bothered to drill down and figure out exactly what it was. But what I what I what I have seen from the bit of research I did is that if you knew what the password, if you knew a password, you could see what they were doing and then you would know how to do it to all the other passwords on all of these 16 laptops that were using fingerprint authentication. So it, it's just it's a classic instance of what we've often talked about is that you you security is a chain of of links and the it's the the strength of the entire chain which yields your security and so by definition the weakest link in the chain limits the security of the of all the other the the the, the effective security of all the other links so here we've got you know, oh, high tech. I've seen this in the movies, you know, fingerprint recognition. Yet the thing stores the password virtually in the clear with no useful security at all. And and the problem is that, for example, many people rely on the um, encrypted file system, EFS, which is very well designed it is effectively unbreakable unless you <laughs> use UPEX biometric fingerprint login to access it, in which case eh, it's, you know, pretty much in the clear. It, ju- it and, just shows you how you can assume that you're being more secure. Yep. Uh, adding biometrics, you know, and you're not. You're being less secure. Right. By the way, that's not two factor if you don't enter the password. It's single factor still. It's just a different factor. So if you use a fingerprint reader to log in, it's not more secure because it's a fingerprint reader. Right. It, 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 well, it is re- correct. It is instead of adding something you have, meaning your pinky, uh, to, instead of adding that to something you know, it is exchanged right. something you have for something you know. It's still single so factor. So you, you don't need to know anything anymore. Right. Yeah, just a single factor. To- and there's been all sorts of issues that, that I've heard of. With fingerprints, anyway. So, okay, now Leo, yeah, you and I need to. Uh, we may disagree on this, which is fine because it's sort of, because it's it's arguably controversial. Um the the co-founder of Apache. Oh, I know had, what you're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know where you're going. <laughs> has decided that the most recent committed build and henceforth of the very popular Apache web server will ignore the do not track the DNT header if it is part of a query coming from Internet Explorer version 10. And we knew this would happen, by the way. We talked about this. Well, we, we, okay. <laughs> um, I didn't know this was going to happen. Oh, no, no. I think we talked about it. In fact, uh, maybe it wasn't on this show. I thought it was on this show because, well, go ahead and I'll let you describe it. And uh, Well, yeah. so, okay, so, so just to rewind for our listeners, um, I, uh, Microsoft made the decision that with IE10, they're going to push do not track maybe a little further 
than, well, certainly further than anyone else has so far. And that is part of the installation of it will have it defaulting on and in the express install you're you're you there is an opportunity for you to say no but no it's the other way around if if oh. you do so the the way ie10 is going to work it, so there's three states for do not track unset correct which is no no preference expressed on or off there are three right. three things if you go through the normal configuration of ie uh, it will not turn it on without telling you. It's only if you use the express configuration. So the express configuration of IE10, which most people pick. Remember when you install IE10, it says, would you like to do a custom or do you want to just accept our express settings? Right. If you accept the express settings, then it turns do not track on. Okay. And and nowhere do you see that it's doing that. Right. That's the express okay. settings. Now, if you go through the normal setting process, you will be asked. Right. So... The um, and oh, most and people use guy, Express, including me. This guy, the co-founder of Apache, is also on the committee that has worked on standardizing Do Not Track. With the, with so that's he's the W3C. also got yes. Yeah. So he's also got so or but but I mean specifically the DNT, you know, subgroup or whatever. Right. So he he's been involved in this and is adamant about the idea that that there ought to be these three states you know the no specification has been made either the user has said they do want tracking or they don't and anyway so that so what what apache has taken it on themselves to do because they're now they're claiming and this we have talked about before that ie10 is is not standards compliant not that internet explorer really ever has been for other things um ie10 is not standards compliant in complying with the the letter of how the do not track should be implemented meaning that it needs to be by definition a clear user choice he's taking the position that because microsoft sets it for users who choose the express install, they have not asserted a choice. Therefore, IE10 does not abide by the standard. And and what is the, the controversial aspect of this is that the web server itself, not the apps running on the server, but the server will remove that on the way in so that it is not available Two applications and so it's a little that i mean i guess that's the problem i have is that what if what if applications assume that do not track is working but and that they'll at least be, be, be given the headers that the client has provided apache is proactively filtering those the request headers removing it i mean and and altering them from what the client has sent so I don't know if this is a little power struggle between Apache and Microsoft. Um, if they hope to, to you know, force IE to change their I behavior. I think it's more nuanced. Um, I, would, I would interpret his decision in a more nuanced way. In fact, he says in the patch, the quote is, the patch is titled, Apache does not tolerate deliberate abuse of open standards. 
So I'm not sure he's necessarily expressing an opinion on DNT, but he's expressing an opinion that there is an open standard that was set in a normal open standard process. Process. And that, uh, that uh, Internet Explorer 10 has chosen to ignore an open standard. And so we're going to ignore the setting. And it may be more nuanced. It may really be about open standards and, and saying Microsoft's got to – there's a standard. Now, you could dispute the standard and there was an opportunity to do so at the W3C level. But having set the standard, Microsoft either has to adhere to it or we have to ignore their choice. Now, he may also be saying – you know something else, but but I think that that title tells you that what he's saying is you got to you got to this is the standard's set, so you need to adhere to it. It has the net effect though of somebody who of whoever uses IE, even if they decide to actively turn off tracking, it's going to be ignored. Yeah, which I think is an, is not the effect. You know that's you know what? it's very much like uh, dimpled chads. I was going to say that... It's attempting to understand the intent of the user, right? Yes, it's too bad that there isn't an intermediate between zero and one for the the DNT value, which which means the browser turned this on on behalf of the user. I mean, like, you know, like... Yeah, well, the browser should be configured so that you have to make the choice one way or the other. Explicitly, the problem. I think the problem they have is the browser doesn't tell you explicitly that you're making that choice. Yeah, and, and of course, the reality is probably users would choose it if they knew it was available. But users don't choose things; right. they just, as I have, you know, the, the it might, believe it or not, have an underlying. Um, he might be on the side of the angels, and I'll tell you why. Because if advertisers decide that the do not track is being set without the choice of the user but just by default then they're justified in ignoring it too right. so yep. i think he may i'm giving him a very positive spin on this <laughs> and I, but i'm just saying this is this this you could say he said look we at at the worldwide web consortium we discussed this we and they did i'm sure endlessly because they changed their mind once and we've decided that if this is going to have any merit, advertisers cannot in any way say, no, no, the user didn't have a choice in the matter. It has to be, we have to be able to say to advertisers, no, look, a clear choice has been expressed. Our standard says so. So you must honor it. Uh, and so, I think that he may be defending that. He may be protecting it. Mm, but certainly I, I, he's I protecting open standards. I can certainly see that. In other words, it's complicated. And it, it has and and whether and, and we're taking out our disagreement over tracking cookies completely from this. That's not it yeah, at all. It's not about that. And yeah. what this really says is, don't use IE ten. Well, <laughs> if you want, if you want to use do not track, don't use IE ten. Right? Yeah. Until Microsoft, and you know, which is where him putting pressure on Microsoft comes in. So, I mean, and Microsoft has to have thought about this a lot. You know, they keep touching this third rail um, with advertisers every time. Eight was going to have it, then it got pulled back. Nine was going to have it, then it got pulled back. Actually, seven was going to have it, and it got pulled back. But And, you know, and, now, and really, uh, you know, what Microsoft's doing is it's a PR move to uh, users. Look, we protect you. Yeah. But what they what the effect of what they're doing by ignoring stand, the open standard is they may, in fact, be doing the reverse. 
They may, and, you know, by the way, Apple does this, and this was the whole thing that Google went around on Safari. Apple did yep. turn on Do Not Track by default. So, uh, you know, it looks good for a company to say, oh, look, we're... No, it was, I think Apple had was blocking third-party cookies third, by default. That's it. Same idea, though, right? Yes, right. Um, that, that doesn't have a standard one way or the other. DNT is something new in response to third-party cookies. Correct. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, and I'll dial out on the, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I would love to see, you know what I'd like to see every browser. And by the way, Chrome doesn't have a setting at all because Google is never going to turn on do not track. But what I would like is everybody, Chrome, IE10, and everybody in the setup process to have a little description of what tracking cookies are, what they're used for, and then say, and you must choose now. <laughs> That may violate yeah. the standard too, because the standard allows for three settings: unset, on, or off. I, I, I really, I think that what I saw Rev three do, I, I can see that that's going to happen. What's where that? you know, when where revision oh. three notices that right. you've got this blocked, and they say, you know, we're happy to give you all this content, but you know, we need you to take a look at all of the content. Right. Not you know, in in this case, it was advertising blocking. And they said, you know, just turn this on. So it's like, okay. Yeah, or I, mean, so, I think we may win this one and, and advertising companies may just say, fine, we don't need to track you. Because there's not a lot of proof that tracking works. That's absolutely right. <laughs> the, because <laughs> I mean, at, at least as used as, a, uh, as an ad preference, you know, ad customization preference, ad customization doesn't seem to work at all. Yeah, that's so perverse. That's what's so perverse about this is they build all these huge databases that are oftentimes de-anonymized, but it's not clear offering per user ads to, i mean for those who even notice it it creeps them out right. i mean it fright it freaks out users it's like wait a minute how do well, i'm over on this site how do they know i was just over there looking at that it's not, I, I don't want anyone to know that right yeah. we're really in the early days of recommendation engines just look at your ads on facebook which are absolutely by the way every ad on facebook you are tracked on facebook whether you whatever the setting that you want to set is you're on a single site so it's not third-party right. cookies and the ads the personalized ads on facebook are worthless they're stupid <laughs> they, they, they i mean just look at the ads you're being fed on facebook and that's and the look, best possible case of tracking cookies i was just gonna say look how much information they have and what you know and and the result of that yeah yeah. So I don't. I, I think there's. A, I think advertisers might just say, you know, this is this is the third rail. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's nice while it lasted. I'm looking but. here. I get an ad for uh, T-Mobile, Chevron, giving away money to public schools, San Francisco 49ers store, make money with your photos, sign a anniversary card for Barack Obama, and cut my electric bills by 75 percent, and State Farm insurance. I don't think that that's particularly tied to anything. But these, these are all yeah. customized heavily. It even says, my friends, Brett and Jesse and Robert, like T-Mobile. <laughs> that If I were Jesse, Robert, and Brett, I'd be pissed. <laughs> yeah, that's leakage. Yeah, that's real leakage. Yeah. And uh, that's when you do a like on Facebook, then your, uh, your name may be used with your friends to say, hey, you, you know, Leo likes this. Why don't you? That's annoying. <laughs> yeah, we don't just change that from like to leak me. Leak me. <laughs> leak <laughs> leak. leak. <laughs> anyway, so, I th I th I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that was a we tried to talk about it on uh, Twitter, and I think you did a better job. Well, you know, and and you were all up to speed for it too, so that was really good. I am up to speed on this one, boy. <laughs> yeah. Hot okay, button. so Kindle's new paper white screen. I'm excited. Yeah, it, I want to see it. Great. 
I, I and for some reason I feel like I have, and of course I haven't because I don't have a time machine. Um, <laughs> but uh, or if I did, I couldn't tell you. Um, but the way the screen is illuminated is wonderful. I don't know why I know that, but I have. <laughs> that's why you have. Maybe I was dreaming it. You I, I, sometimes I have vivid you dreams. Saw the maybe I just dreamt it. Okay, but here's my gripe. If you you got that link in the show notes, Leo, the g hyphen ecx dot images hyphen amazon dot com link. Yes, they posted what I think is a very deceptive graph, and that just bugs me because it's like, okay, this is not necessary. Um, they they talk that they show a tiny tiny bars for laptop <laughs> for the battery life of laptops. And smartphones and and obviously competing pad, pads or readers and things, and you know showing like nine eight hours, to ten nine hours, hours, ten hours, so, yeah, yeah. And then this monster bar of theirs <laughs> that like you have to scroll your your browser in order to see where it ends. Uh, that says eight weeks, and then underneath in fine print it says based on daily thir- thirty minutes per day of Kindle use. You know, oh, a setting at a setting of ten. Well, now the brightness is twenty-four levels. Oh, so it's so half brightness. Ooh, less than half. It's only forty-two mm. percent of max brightness. Wow. And eight weeks at thirty minutes per week is twenty-eight hours, which is only twice right as many hours as the times they show for the competing devices. They're mixing Yet apples the bar, and oranges. The bar goes off to New Jersey. Yeah. So, okay, Jeff, clean up your act here. This is not necessary. It, eight weeks sounds good, though, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you only used your tablet uh, 30 minutes a day, it would last how many days? It would last uh, tw- uh, 20 days, right? 10 hours. So that's what they should really be showing. 20 days, eight weeks. Yeah, if, 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 if you use your tablet for the same amount, then right. it'd be this long compared to they're, that long. They're, mix, they're mixing apples and oranges. I did get a nice note because I, I, I tweeted this. I was just – this just really <laughs> infuriated me because, I mean, I'm Lord knows I am a Kindle fanboy. There's yeah. no doubt about it. I've got every model and make that there there is, and I love the Kindle, and I, and I already got two of these on order, one for Jen and one for myself. Um, anyway, Chad – uh, tweeting as Lorian uh, in Framingham, Massachusetts, he 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 said he said fortunately, the increased contrast and resolution should mean needing the light less right. than a typical Kindle. It's not always on, and that's a great point. Right. Is that although it's got this wonderful ghosty glow look to it? Again, I don't know <laughs> well, why we'll I know see. that. It's but- only twenty five percent more contrast. So I don't they think sure it's to make it look white, I don't think it's white on paper I hope white. They <laughs> hope they didn't mess that up on the web page it's either. Less you gray how- green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although much higher I'm I'm excited about more pixels because right. I'm always, you know, I'm Mr. Pixel. And it's I like faster. Have- I mean, you know, it, it's, look, there's going to be incremental improvement in this stuff all always. Yeah. The thing they like should probably much. point out is the reason you're only using it 30 minutes a day is cuz it doesn't do as much as the tablet, the laptop and the other stuff. All, all you could do is read. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you'll use it less, so it will last longer. Okay. 
Actually, you know, you could just like, glue it to the back of your tablet. So you just flip the thing over and then you got Kindle. <laughs> That's what Kenny did. Something. Okay. So finally, I just wanted, I did want to bring, I, I tweeted this, anyone who's curious, with a touch device, a tablet, an Android, an iPhone, something very cool. You know, you and I gripe, our listeners have heard me say, is how annoying it is when I go to a website and and the the site wants you to download their own app. I mean, I know they're trying to get mind share and 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 you have now an you know their icon on your you know on on your icon array and your home screen or whatever. But it just it's like okay, no, I don't want your app. I want to you know give me a good experience on my with my web browser. So in researching the the story about the discovery of how the UDIDs really did leak out, that is where um, David did this, I went to intrepidusgroup.com slash insight. So that's intrepidusgroup.com slash insight or twitter.com slash sggrc. Look at my feed and because the, the link is there. And... What I was presented with with was what looked like an iPad app, you know, where you 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 can move b- between articles, you can um, you can see summaries. I mean, a complete sort of fluid touch custom app. And it took me a minute to realize I, I hadn't been taken to an app. There were still browser tabs at the top of the iPad screen, like. Wow, this is, you know, this is JavaScript that has, you know, they've they've written an app in JavaScript. Well, it turns out it's from a company called onswipe.com, O-N-S-W-I-P-E.com. Um, and if you go to their site with a pad, then it's also a nice experience and it's free. So I just wanted to give a shout out to these guys. This is... This is beautiful touch tablet technology that allows companies to pour their content into this framework, which is free, and not require people to download an app, which is certainly some resistance to doing. I'm not the only person who feels this way. Certainly you do, Leo. And again, it's like that that makes you do something else here I got a very nice ex- browsing experience without having to download another app. So I thought it was just very, very cool. HTML5, to- baby. Yeah, I know. You know. So nice. And I got one nice note also from James Lewis, who said, Spinrite got me a free TiVo. <laughs> and he said, I was skeptical Spinrite even worked. I figured it was worth giving a shot for 89 bucks. I've been using my Series 1 TiVo for years. My friend had one of those fancy Humax Series 2 with DVD burners. Those were good. One day, yeah. yes, yes. He said one day it wouldn't reboot for him. So he gave it to me for free. Spin right, spent a couple of hours on the drive, and when it was done, I had a Series 2 TiVo. <laughs> wow. Thank you. So, yeah, SpinRite fixes everything. It's, uh, we've heard other people talk about it on the TiVo yeah. drives. Yeah. Because it doesn't care about file system. It doesn't know or care. 
Nope. I think TiVo uses a Linux EXT2 file system. But it doesn't it matter. It does. And in fact, I, it's saved my, my own Series 1s many times. And they use a PowerPC chip that use, is a big Endian rather That's than right. a little it's Endian, big Endian chip. That's right. Yep. So the bytes are even in the wrong order. And doesn't care. Says, ah, I don't care what's there. I just we'll bits just, we'll, we'll just fix it. Before we get to, to uh, our topic, which is about uh, online identity and uh, authentication, and uh, I'm glad you're going to do this. We're just kind of everything you need to know about OAuth, Oath, as we talked about last week. Um, Steve Gibson here, a little bit of a different time because uh, we flip flopped as we often do. Apple does its events on Wednesday these days, which means Steve gets to move to Tuesday, Mac Break Weekly to Wednesday. We will be doing live coverage of the Apple iPhone 5 event. Starting 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, uh, 1700 UTC. And we've decided, and this could either be great or it could go very, very wrong, that since Apple doesn't provide a stream for us, we're going to reenact <sighs> the keynote with puppets. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm joking. Now, I commissioned Brian Hogg, puppet master, who did my uh, Leo puppet, which you see behind me. Um, he's doing a, uh, and he did Walt, Walt Muss puppet, which was quite a character for a long time. He's doing a Tim Cook puppet for us. Uh, we didn't have time to do, do everybody that could conceivably be on stage because there's a lot of people. It could be Tim Cook, Phil Schiller, Scott Forstall. So every, Tim will be everybody. And he will be reading the live blog back, not the whole time, but, you know, when there's, when there's something, and we have the images from the live blogs, and we'll, so we have a little stage. We're going to put them on a little stage. It'll be great. Puppet show tomorrow. Why, why does Apple not just make a stream of We've been discussing that. We talked about it on Twitter. I and know. One network engineer in our audience said, you know, the um, cost of making something super reliable that would be watched by that many people simultaneously is probably prohibitive. It's too big. It's too big. Yeah. Um, but, and and uh, there are other things. Apparently, they do have engineers sitting there doing secret sauce during it because they I was told by somebody in the know, um, because they turn around the keynote almost minutes after it ends and put uh, it online. And have the video up. Yeah. Right. So they're doing some stuff. And maybe someday they'll, it'll be ready for prime time. They've done in the past, you know, like unaccountably like a year ago, they did one live and then never again. I would think mm -hmm. they'd want to do it live. There's such interest. God, yes. But uh, anyway, puppets might work. <laughs> <laughs> if not, Leo... If they see your puppet performance, oh, I gave up on Apple. That ever. may convince them to go back go to a live stream. It's, it's like, okay, either puppets, Leo's going to do the puppet, or we're going to we're going to we're going to stream. It is our, you know, it's funny. We do a lot of live events. We do a lot of stuff. Obviously, we do you know forty hours of programming a week. There's nothing like an Apple event for driving traffic. There really is interest. Yeah, we get uh, and every and I was talking to uh, Ryan Block of, of Gadget.com. They do a live. Uh, a blog of it. He said, "Oh yeah, easily our biggest." He said, "AOL burned up a server when they when they then they oh, were doing it. Too cool. They actually burned one up. It broke. A melt a meltdown. meltdown. Which I guess you can have a switch if you have too much traffic going through it can melt. <laughs> okay, maybe it's made out of chocolate. <laughs> it was a chocolate switch. Oh goodness. Anyway, okay. Now and why? Okay, so you're calling it the iPhone five event. I mean, is it just a bigger screen? Yeah, how, well, we you know we don't any, know, how but can it be any better. So the invitation has a twelve for the day, right? And then the shadow, the the twelve cast is five. Now it's not the fifth iPhone. There've already been five. The four S is the fifth iPhone. Yeah. So it's really the sixth iPhone, 
But we think there must maybe well some a number of people tweeted me. Well, what if instead of uh, being about the iPhone five, they're saying they're going to be five new products we're going to announce? I don't I don't think so. I think they're going to call it the iPhone five, and uh, it will be eleven thirty six by six forty one extra row of icons. It's quite a bit of debate over whether it will have LTE or less NFC. scrolling of less scrolling of your home screen. Right? Yeah, more on your home screen. <laughs> Uh, it will be sixteen nine, so it'll look better for movies and games. Oh, cool! Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't. I think that it's gotten pretty competitive now. I don't think Apple's got a free pass anymore. Maybe, maybe they do. And we do think that there's going to then be like in October a a mid size pad. We being, you know, tablet John Gruber and Jim John Pachowski and. Uh, Jim Dalrymple, you know, the the pundits who seem to have a handle on all this. Yes, they believe a mini iPad. Now, that will be interesting, especially after the Kindle Fire HD. I bet you ordered one of those, too. I didn't. You didn't? No. Not interested. The Kindle Fire burned me, if you'll right. pardon my choice of words, uh, so badly. Which it's just so horrible that I thought, nah, you've lost me on this one, yeah. Amazon. Interesting. You, you sold me a piece of crap, and, you know, I'm not buying a second one. Now, the Nexus 7, same thing, $200, great. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah. No, and, and I have said to everybody, if, you know, $199, it is a, it is a completely workable, worthwhile right. pad. Right. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I had to order the fires. Not that I, you know, I, I might oh. kind of agree with you. I might Kindle Fire. The original is just sitting there not doing anything. Yeah. Um, but if, <laughs> I, I looked at it the other day. It's on my, uh, on my dresser, and it hasn't been charged <laughs> in months. And I thought, well, I'll bring it in for the event, and I guess I'll, I'll gazelle it after that. Um, but I am going to get the 7-inch, and we'll get that in two days, I think, the 14th, three days. And then, Oh, no uh, kidding. So yeah. it is available soon. That one is the first thing to come out. So we'll have that. I'll have that by next security now. I'll let you know. I ordered the, um, the a pair of the paper whites as soon as I saw that it was up, and I have a, uh, an arrival date of like mid-October, I think October 17th. Yeah, they're not shipping those right away, yeah. Yeah, but hey, oh, they have a lovely glow. They will glow. I'd be very. I'm really so. See, I didn't order a paperweight, so I'll let you tell me oh, how they are. Perfect, and perfect. I'll tell you how the HD fire is. Deal. <laughs> we have to work these things out ahead of time. Our you're show today. Go you're you're, you're going to have it for next week's podcast, right? I will. Okay, if all goes well. Uh, will I have an iPhone five by then? Mm. Uh, the their twelfth. Nineteenth, there no, is a huge comes staffing out on Friday, a, a week from a Friday. Staffing effort, isn't there? Yeah, but yeah. it won't be till two days after we do the show. So Friday, the twenty-first uh, is when it comes out. Ah. Sorry. Meanwhile, you know, I I buy everything, and this is the first time I've kind of thinking. I wish I didn't have to buy everything. <laughs> I just want to stay with one phone for a few months, please. I beg of you. And it's easy to fall behind when when this much is happening. I have never seen a more fecund <laughs> fall. I'm going to call this the fecund fall. Uh, fertile with gadgets. They're blossoming everywhere. And there's Nokia phones. There's Motorola phones. There's tablets. There's Windows 8 stuff is coming out any minute now. Oh, my gosh. And I got to buy it all. Bezos is claiming that they're one of their things... I guess it's the Kindle HD is better than the iPad. Well, it is in many respects. Um, it's DPI very is lower, but l- very close. It's got two speakers with Dolby sound, which the, iP- the iPad, the new iPad, has terrible sound. It's got one little yeah. tinny speaker. 
Yeah. Uh, I guess they figure, and in fact, most games now say, please wear headphones <laughs> for mm. a better experience. Um, it's, uh, I don't know in what other respects it's better. Um, that's, it might be faster. We'll see. I don't think it is. The software's dumbed down. You know, it's dumbed down Android. It's not a cons- content creation device. It's a content consumption device. It's a door to the store. Exit through the gift shop. All right. Let's talk about Ford and then we'll get to the, uh, the auth. The identify on the line. The on the, on the line identify. Uh, this show brought to you by our friends at Ford. And they have a great site, a new site they want you to visit called the Ford Social Site. Social.ford.com. I'll pop it up here and you can take a look at some of the features. Uh, one of the things, there's articles on there by a variety of people, including, I might add, me... Uh, I did. A, I had an interview, really interesting conversation. I, you know, it wasn't it was kind of a deep background conversation. It wasn't intended to be um, on air or anything. With uh, one of Ford's lead technologists, Jim Puchkowski, I was really interested in um, new apps that are coming to Sync, for instance, like location-based services and Friend Finder, financial apps. You could be driving along. Your stock is tumbling. Pull over. Um, the future of speech to text. Seamless local and cloud processing. They're using Nuance. Uh, anyway, it's all on there. We talked about GPS Scout by Tele- Telenav. So the articles in the articles section here at social.ford.com, if you go and look in technologies, you'll see my shining face. In the, uh, it's a just a little brief thing I wrote up about that conversation. Um, there's also a place you can add your ideas and read others' ideas. I love this. This is like the 21st century suggestion box. If you've got a good idea... For the next Ford vehicles, <laughs> here's a guy who writes, bring back the Ford Ranger. But and then here's one I like from Ryan. If you have a phone that supports NFC, you could use an NFC tag embedded in the car to unlock, check the car's stats, register personal settings. I like that. So if you read an idea that you like, whoops, that one's not there. You can thumbs up it. You can vote for it. There's ideas in every category. This is a great way for them to collect information. Things like Wi-Fi music sharing between cars or uh, automatic sunscreens. A wind turbine under the hood to charge the lithium battery. That sounds like perpetual motion. As a tech geek, Ford wants to hear your ideas. They invite you to join the conversation. Social.ford.com. To read more about it, submit your ideas to Ford. Like your favorite ideas. And while you're there, grab that tech geek badge. And add it to your Facebook or your Twitter or whatever. And you can read more about my call with Jim Buchkowski. Social.ford.com. Check it out. I should also say drive a Ford, drive a Ford. I get, I get such great emails from people who said, you know, I heard your ads for months. And I finally, you know, it was time for me to buy a truck or something. Let's see if I can find one here. And um, I love it. Love it. I get these emails and tweets every single day. So I feel neat. Yeah. It's nice. Here's one. This is from Mike McGrath McGrath or McGraw. He's talking about his experience. Um, He's uh, buying a Ford. This was the easiest and most pleasant vehicle purchase of my life. And I am no spring chicken. (laughs) By the way, if it weren't for Ford's sponsorship specifically of Leo and the Twit Network and New Media in general, I would have not purchased a new Ford. Flash Dude in the chat room, Leo rocks. Thank you, Flash Dude. Isn't that awesome? I just got that today. All right, Steve, let's talk about authentication, identity. Okay. Yeah, um, obviously, it's crucial. Yeah. Um, 
it's uh, we 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 have looped around it, coming at it from all different directions because there's so many different facets to the issue. One of the things that I was thinking about after we were talking last week was remember uh, someone we did a Q and A and someone was suggesting maybe the the role of the post office right as an authenticator of identity mm-hmm. and and that reminded me that there's two very different classes of identity which is worth noting because it's important and that is there's the notion of of real world identity that is you know who you actually are in the physical world which is entirely separate or or is at least entirely separable from your online identity or you might call it a virtual identity and there there you still want you 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 still want to authenticate but you want to authenticate at least optionally anonymously and and then it's like okay well wait a minute why would you care about anonymous authentication and and the reason is reputation and and reputation is a, just a wonderful word um, in in this online context the the notion of of you know you're in you're investing in a, a online virtual personality and and what you are doing over time is is acquiring, earning, building a, a reputation among among the people you're sharing this community with, and so for that reason, the 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 strength of your reputation is directly tied to the the community's understanding that it's unlikely you can be impersonated. And so, so once again, even though in that in that entire universe we're disconnected from you know what's your street address, what's your social security number, you know what identity would the post office see if you walked in and showed them your driver's license? It's not about that. It's about it's about the integrity of of the systems, you know, the internet's ability to provide authentication of a virtual person. So it's just, you know, this is who I say I am and and nobody else is able to say I'm that they are me and over time that that builds value. So that that was something we hadn't really ever explicitly discussed, so I wanted to do that. But the something happened last week that surprised me and and I thought oh this is further along than I thought um I brought up IMDB internet movie database which I I poke around from time to time and this was the app on my iPad but same experience um under Firefox for example in Windows and it prompted me to log in with IMDB Amazon Facebook or Google. And I thought, Amazon? What? And sure enough, I if I click on Amazon, 
I jump over to Amazon, then LastPass sees that I'm being prompted to log into Amazon. It bloop, does that for me, and I'm back to IMDb, having having and it knows my name. It says, "Hi there, Steve Gibson." It's like, oh, okay, I <laughs> I didn't know we were here yet. You know, we've talked about we've we've seen uh, and discussed the, you know the the login using Facebook, login using Twitter. We know that that Google has now is is active in this area and of course the Google authenticator we've talked about. I was unaware that Amazon was offering that service and I'm delighted because you know I'm an active Amazon user. I'm I'm not an active Facebook user. Actually I use Amazon more than Facebook, Google or IMDb IMDb or anything else. So that was cool. And of course, Amazon is now also offering multi-factor authentication. So if I were using that, then I would have been prompted for, if I had set it up, for another factor of authentication. So what's happening is there are, there are groups working to standardize these protocols. And there's, there's, it comes down to three, three acronyms um, that are essentially, two of those are protocols. Another one is sort of crypto technology. And that's OATH, which you helped me <laughs> produce or pronounce. Because I was like, wait a minute, o- O-A-T-H and O-A-U-T-H. And of course, yes, OATH, obviously, is how you pronounce O-A-T-H. Um, and that's just kind of a, a good acronym for that. What oath is is just it's not a it's not a communications protocol or an authentication internet protocol. It's just the crypto standards that, for example, Google Authenticator is based on. And and what's significant is that. For example, the the VeriSign VIP service that we have talked about extensively in the past. You know, here's my here's my uh, little PayPal football that uh, that I got. I think was it free or five dollars or something. I think it was very inexpensive from PayPal, which um, I'm still using. Um, and one of our listeners famously realized that the upper digit of the six-digit code is incrementing linearly, not part of the, of the pseudo-random sequence driven by the secret key. Well, Google Authenticator doesn't work that way. Neither does the Windows Phone 7 Authenticator, which, by the way, is, I have verified since, Google Authenticator compatible. So, so you know, how, how is it possible that... that the PayPal football and the which is tied into the VeriSign VIP system uses a different protocol. Well, and and that brings us to another critical or sort of key aspect to this, which is the VIP system VeriSigns is closed. It is a it is a it is not an open system. You get credit cards from them that are time or event based 
Um, and in, in this case, they are event-based, so they're not, they, don't, they don't have a clock running all the time or the battery wouldn't last long using the little e-ink printing that we talked about a long time ago. Or you get the football from them. They're not publishing and their, 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 their technology is not open. So, so they know what the key is associated with my token and they can have any algorithm they want to. You know, we now know that since the first digit is linearly incrementing, it is a weaker authentication than if it were six fully pseudo-random digits. Um, and we understand that they're doing it because it's time-based and having that, that, that most significant digit changing um, uniformly allows them to better lock on to and deal with time drift. Um, but but the the central factor here is the notion of a closed versus an open system. One of the reasons I am so bullish about Google and their their effort to push this open this oath open standard is that when I inquired of someone who was using the VeriSign VIP system, I was a little taken aback by how expensive it is. And and while I know that they've got lots of customers and their enterprise class and so forth, this is to me this feels like a problem that ought to have a free solution, which is what Google is is helping to push with the success of the authenticator, which is based on these open standards, so it's not a closed system. But there's a downside. Can I ask you one question about the authenticator? Yeah. Because uh, a viewer, a listener to the radio show called this week. He said, I'm nervous about the authenticator. Can it be reverse engineered? And it, was, it would be the same question about the VeriSign dongle. Um, okay. So the, the authenticator, the, the oath protocol, the, oh, sorry, the, well, the oath, I, I don't want to use the word protocol because... It's not a o- auth and open ID are protocols. Right. The the oath standard is a is a hash based standard where it it takes either a event counter mm-hmm. or a time of day clock, and uh, in the case of a time of day clock, essentially it creates an event every thirty seconds tied to internet time and one of the things i loved as i was reading through the standard was they make a point of saying and this must be 64 bit internet time high resolution well the reason is the internet time that is that that has has been established the so-called unix time same sort of thing Mm -hmm. it's 32 bits and it wraps around Uh, in 2038 right so it's like, whoops, we go back to the beginning of time. <laughs> this won't uh, wrap, wrap around to the beginning, the actual end of time. <laughs> correct. <laughs> 64 bits. So we're, we're better. So, so it's yes. taking, okay, so it's taking the internet time at 64 bits. Yes. Is it hashing and it with something? Yes. It uses a, a keyed hash. So, um, and I'm thinking that... We ought to talk about that in detail. I don't want to get into the crypto. No, today. I speculated though that it was a one-way hash. 
Yes, okay. it is. It is a. It is a. It is a. It is a secure keyed hash. I, I so, liken it to a meat grinder where you could put a steak in and get hamburger out, but you can't put hamburger in and get a steak out. It's well, one yes, way. And and the other thing is the the hash is large. It's like SHA one or SHA two fifty six. Now one of the one of my annoyances with Oath this standard is it. It doesn't specify this tightly enough. That uh, is, it says, oh, well, you could use SHA-1, you could use SHA-256, you could do this, you could do that. It's like, no, 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 please don't don't give people the choice because, because they will take different choices and we will have non-standard implementations. So it's, one, it's another reason why I'm glad some, some entity as large as Google has said, here's ours. And here it is at code.google.com. It's open. It's, you know, please, you know, take it and and use it. And so, you know, it's available for free download for our devices. It is being copied, which is fine, but it's being compatibly copied. And and so it behooves people to make, to, to, to do this, to implement exactly the same set of choices that Google chose out of the oath standard. So while the standard is not nearly as rigid as I would like, I mean, for example, back in the early days of TCP, there were so, there was a lot of things that were not closely enough specified, and people implemented incompatible TCP stacks. So you had an interoperability problem in the beginning, and in fact, TCP is complicated enough that a lot of the way it works has sort of gone into sort of mythology almost. It's like, oh, just take one that works. Don't go reinvent that because even if you follow the standard, you may you may run across some edge cases where you, you'll have problems. So, so knowledge about the actual implementation has now been embedded in the code, and it's more it's more a spec than the standard that is written. And so we have the same sort of effect with the Google Authenticator, where it's like, this is Google's implementation, copy it. Do exactly this, and you will get something right. So, but the point is, the, the, the width of the hash is much larger than the, the digits we see. So we don't, we don't even see all of the hash output which is good for security. If we saw all of it, it'd be an insanely long thing that no one could type in in 30 seconds before it changed. <laughs> that would be a problem. But also, if we only see part of it, no cryptographer, even if they wanted to do like like um, brute force one-way functions because we know that hashes can be brute forced with rainbow tables and by by like putting every possible value into the front and see what comes or, or, or into your meat grinder leo and 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 see what comes out and so you just keep putting enough things in until you you get a match the problem is or well or the the the, the problem for the cryptographer or the cracker hacker is that all we're seeing is a tiny piece of the hash output. So to do any kind of meaningful crypto, you've got to see it all. And what that, so what that 
practically means is that we we have a hash function which is doing a very good job of producing pseudo really high quality pseudo random numbers and for example it is possible that when the 30 seconds elapses and the next number is shown that it doesn't change what Be- yeah because that's highly unlikely s- though isn't it very unlikely okay. but very but possible. possible yeah Be- because we're only seeing six digits of a much larger hash right and so any of the other high end of the hash would be different except those six digits so so we know that six digits is one out of a million so there's a one in a million chance that you will get the same code again okay. because it's truly very good random and that's what you would like so so um the, here's the danger um and this is and, and your your question is is the perfect setup for this the the problem with having your phone full of accounts remember i was i was excited that google authenticator essentially allowed me just to create as many individual instances for authentication as i wanted for example we were talking about dropbox and how dropbox now supports um uh, multi-factor authentication using Google Authenticator. Well, that's cool. Except that um, Dropbox knows the key for this instance. And as long as I only use the key with Dropbox, well, then I have some security. But if I deliberately gave other authenticators the same key because I wanted to reuse the the instance of Google Authenticator, that is that account in Google Authenticator, now we start having the same problem again as using a common password across multiple sites. So so the point is that that we we have a nice system with Google Authenticator and its clones because there are now a bunch of people doing, you know, the, you know, a, a a compatible solution. I think that's great. But but in order for this to be secure, because essentially we're we're able to manage our identities by creating instances of these these authentication accounts it's again we we again bear some responsibility in managing those well now to to, to make this more clear i don't have that problem if i were using verisign with vip because theirs is not a distributed system theirs is you know everybody i authenticate with has to go to VeriSign to to determine what my code should be rather than just asking me and my phone knows. So so these are different models and it's it's not clear to me. I mean it's not a, it's not 
completely without cost that that we remove any middleman from the solution and take responsibility ourselves. Um, and remember that the downside of the VeriSign approach is what we saw with RSA because when they had the huge breach, because RSA was the same thing. They had all the keys to the kingdom, all of their of their time-based RSA tokens that corporations the world over and a lot of government were using for, for example, logging in securely to their VPNs, they lost the keys. So, so there is a, if you centralize like that, there's a single point of failure. If they were down, like, for example, GoDaddy was down yesterday, no one can authenticate during that period of time using their approach. So you, you, you would want to have some sort of backup solution. And also, there's a single point of vulnerability to them losing the keys to the kingdom as they actually did in the case of, of that breach. So, so where we are today, I think, is we're moving towards, we're, we're, we're moving towards a, a, thanks to probably the strength of Google and the, the, the pressure from users who want something better than username and password, where, in fact, username is email address more often than not. So that doesn't even count as we were, as we were talking about last week, where, where we have a, a distressingly loose standard in Oath, which has, has been adopted and is now being copied and so in, in the same way as, as other standards that were not well specified but became well specified in practice, we've got that. And that's, that's beginning to happen. Now, so that's Oath. Then in terms of protocol, there's OAuth and OpenID. Now, we talked about OpenID years ago um, when that effort was relatively new. And their site claims, I think it's 9 billion websites are now using, no, it has to be a million, 9 million websites, but it's like, it's, I think it's 1, mil, 1 billion users and 9 million websites. Is that possible? That seems, like a, seems like a billion Yeah, that's possible. Million. There's a billion uh, Facebook users. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so... I don't encounter open ID that often. I mean, I've seen it. It's it's the idea is it's got kind of that little funky sort of 3D uh it's like gray and orange sort of thing standing up. It's it's kind huh? of a funky little logo. Yeah, see Oh, the logo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that's the visual cue right. that you can use your open ID identity to log into this site. And so and, and and you remember that the concept was you give them a a domain name or a URL for a page on the net which you control, and so the idea was in in the same way that email an email confirmation loop is useful because you control that email account, and so you've you 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 you've said. You know, this is my email account when you when you set something up, and so you hold on to that. And so the idea is, you know, you know how to log on to that email account. You control it. Similarly, 
the open ID concept was you control a page that is available. Now, it may be your blog, it may be a your own website, or more more often, it's going to be a a provider, an identity provider where you have established an open ID account and then they've given you this string which essentially is your page there. Yeah, I and used so, a company called Claim ID for this purpose yes, for a long time. Yes, exactly. And so 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 the idea is that that's your that's your universal tag and if you are at any of these sites that says oh you can authenticate you can identify yourself essentially with your open id if you've got one you use it there and off you go now that's competing with oauth and i think it's lost I think it I, I I think it was a nice idea but it is but, but there is so little tolerance for any friction in authentication that the idea that I could go to IMDB and and am presented with how would you like to log on with us, Amazon, Facebook, or Google. Yeah, that's like, the problem. Or Twitter. That's the problem. It's so much easier, and everybody's got one of those. Yes. Yes. And so there isn't a way to compete with that. Yeah. I mean, it. Yeah, there, there, there just isn't. Now, the good news is that so, – so what we have is we've got – it could not be easier than that. I mean, it just – it's – as, as 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 you said, Leo, because because everyone has at least one of those, they don't have to go create an account on IMDb, and so what? I mean, so I think we're going to see now OAuth adoption take off as people get they they see this more often, they encounter it more often, they see that it worked for them. Oh, look, I can just log on using my Facebook. You know, I mean, it, so that's what Facebook's using. That's what I know. That's what Twitter's using. Yes, everybody. Google Plus. The way to differentiate it is if you are not the Open ID has to get information from you first. It has to ask you for your ID, and then it goes off and authenticates you against that. Anything that says log on using Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, Google, whatever, that's OAuth. And um, we do have a podcast in the past about it uh, in detail. Essentially, um, the way to think about it is it uses it uses browser page redirection on the front end. That is, we when when I click on login using Facebook, my my browser receives from the server instructions to go to a particular URL which Facebook publishes for this purpose and that's where my browser receives a login page from Facebook asking me to authenticate who I am that is to log into Facebook 
Is the, that going to leak information back to Facebook? That's, I guess, the privacy concern that people that's have. That's a good, that's a very good point. Yes. Facebook knows who is, who has sent me to them. And so that is a potential privacy concern. And sometimes right. when, you, when you click Facebook, it'll ask you, besides logging in, to give that app permissions, including well, post on your behalf and things like that. Yes. Yes. Now, now OAuth was actually more designed for that, that the, the notion of autonomous background interapplication data exchange. The idea being, for example, you've got some web-based printer app that wants access to your Flickr account. And so right. when you're when, when, when you're using the web-based access thing, it says, you know, we'd like to be able to print your Flickr photos for you. Uh, you know, you need to give this website permission to access that website on your behalf. And so, so OAuth is more than just bouncing you around and, you know, log on using Facebook. That's an aspect of it. And then, but, and then the other is this notion of persistent permissions. And in fact, we can see that one, one, one very easy place to see that is in Twitter because so many people have allowed other Twitter clients to, to access their Twitter accounts on their behalf. And that's OAuth. All of this is, is happening by OAuth. You, if you go to, you know, twitter.com, log in through a web page, there's a, there's a, as you drill down through security and permissions and things, there's a applications that have permission to access Twitter on your behalf. And so there's an enumeration that you'll be shown of, of all, the, all the things you have given at some point in time permission to access Twitter your Twitter account on your behalf. So, um, so OpenID was a nice idea. It, it, it was, you know, competing for a while, but what I'm seeing more and more is that, that nothing can compete with the, with the simplicity of asking a user, I mean, when you go to a, a, one of the things that really annoys me is having to create an account on some site that I probably am never going right. to come back never to. Never be back. Yep. Yep. And so being able to just say, oh, use my Amazon, you know, identity. Fine. That, I mean, as I did on IMDB is like, wow, right. this is, this is, this is clearly the, the solution that's going to work. Um, we probably need to take a look at OAuth version 2 at some point because um, it's been kind of lumbering along in committee mode. Um, some of the early um, uh, founding people have gotten a little bit miffed and disgusted by just the nature of the, the development. They're, it hasn't gone in the direction that they have wanted, but... Um, it really looks like it's the solution that is going to win. And it's, I, I can just see as libraries become available, as, as authentication continues to strengthen, you know, you, you would be able to, for example, establish strong authentication with your Google account if you tend to be Google-centric or strong authentication with your Amazon account if, like me, you are Amazon-centric 
or with Facebook. Is Facebook multi-factor yet? Oh, yeah. They oh, okay. You, you may not know it. I don't think anybody knows it because it's the way they describe it in a very bizarre way. I should show you this because... But um, are you able to use um, Google Authenticator? No, you have to use Facebook's Authenticator. Okay, but they have one. Yeah, I don't think people know it. If you... If you go and to is a, it an, an app for smartphones, uh, it's the Facebook app has an authenticator built into it. Um, so here's the deal: you have to go oh, to the, the, the Facebook the Facebook app, app itself. You go into security, for, for smart- and there's a setting for. Th- and this is why it's not clear what it's asking for. Login approvals. Approval is required when logging in from an unrecognized device. If you turn that on, you have two choices, and I'm not going to show it because I'd have to show my cell phone. But right. you can have a security code texted to a phone number, nice. or you can use a code generator. And it turns out the code generator is built into the Facebook app. So they, they've got it down, actually. I, but I don't think nice. they've publicized this. Nice. So, 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 we have, so we have multi-factor authentication to Amazon, multi-factor authentication to Facebook, or multi-factor authentication to Google. Who doesn't that cover? I mean, that's got to be right. the world. And so, so as soon as libraries become available that allow webmasters to easily incorporate OAuth, I mean, the libraries are there. They'll just be, you know, part of the default install or they'll be enabled or, or whatever. Or there'll be pressure from users. Hey, look, let me log on using my Facebook account. Everybody else does. And so I think this is the direction we're going to go. And... There were some glitches. There were some security problems early on that have been solved. So I don't see this as a problematical solution that we're moving moving toward. Um, to me, um, I think this is going to be a great step forward. I should. <laughs> I have been showing. I just showed the uh, Facebook uh, code generator, which is built into the app, at least on Android. I think it's on the iPhone app as well. Um, and then I, before that, showed my Google Authenticator, and people are starting to freak out. Hey, wait a minute, you're showing your codes. <laughs> but they change every 30 seconds. Well, not only do they change every 30 seconds, but a proper implementation refuses the same code again. Right. So even somebody who was monitoring and, like, like if you were logging in with it and showed it, you know, even using the same code within the 30-second window that that code is valid, it would not be honored a second time. And they'd have it to have say, my password as well, right? So ex- Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I feel fairly secure showing that. Yeah, and, oh, no, I, I mean, I, I I don't have it near me, but, uh, yeah, there's just no reason not to because right. it, is, it is really good pseudo-random, changes every 30 seconds, and the and it being used a second time, is blocked. Rourke's has a good point, and I guess this is, uh, he says, you know, it's too bad, though, that I have to be forced to use Facebook to authenticate. Is it possible to run your own OAuth uh, authenticator like OpenID? And the problem is that, uh, no, because this page you're logging into has to know, oh, uh, you're going to use Leo's authenticator, not Google, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter. It has to yes. support those OAuth implementations. And that's, that is a, that that's a perfect example of what OpenID was giving right. us. Yeah, is is that you you were providing it with the with your own URL to represent you, and and then 
um, and, and it would go there and then you would negotiate with it. So there right. you had control. I have, an, so, old, I have an open ID uh, 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 token at uh, twit.tv. So you can, I could, if I wanted to open ID, I could go to twit, use twit.tv as my uh, identifier. Um, but nobody, <laughs> nobody uses it. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so, yes, we do lose some flexibility. And then there is the issue of, of as, as you said, some privacy concern because anyone you authenticate with knows where you're coming from. Right. And it's like, eh, okay, well, uh, you know, it's it's way convenient, and and I think it's a great solution, and it looks like it's winning. It's winning. Yep. Uh, and by the way, we uh, we allow uh, not that we use it, but it, you could use OpenID. Drupal supports OpenID, and it's possible in this case. Uh, this is the twit.tv site. To log in using OpenID or to sign in with Facebook. Um, there's no point in logging into the twit.tv site. We don't do anything with those. Those are for uh, administrators. But still, you c- Drupal has that built in, so it's kind of free. But um, And then in order to log in using OpenID, what do you prov- you provide it with your – I've forgotten now. I guess I just give it my uh, URL. Yeah, if, if, if for example, if it was a do, if it was a, your own domain and web server, you right. could you could literally use twit.tv to represent you. Um, but oftentimes it'll be a domain and then a a um, a specific page at that uh, at that right. uh, ID location. Yeah, I have claimid.com/leo. I think is an open ID. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, you know, um, the, the we're Step by step, little by little, we're figuring out how to do this. We're we're fixing the mistakes we make as as you know Apple learned the hard way with their um, um, making their unique device ID available to developers and even promoting it to for that purpose for for a while until they realize, oops, that's that's not what we want to do. And so we're learning these lessons, and I just think that that. When I imagine, you know, my mom or my sister or, or, or somebody using, you know, going to a website they haven't been to before and being offered the choice of create an account, which is, you know, just, no, you know, no one has, gets off on creating accounts all day long versus push this button to log in using your Facebook. They're like, oh. Done. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's so easy. Thank you. And of course, because yeah. the tokens on your machine, once you've done that, uh, it's it's painless because it just knows you are who you are, which is another security flaw. Because now that token could be used by others if well, they get access the, to your machine, right? It, it's it is That's over what Fire SSL. Showed us exactly. Yep. So Fire Sheep uh, could be used. Could it be used to? Uh, do an OAuth authentication. Well, remember that Facebook has moved to SSL pervasive. So it was that not you're easy. Okay, right? Yep. Right, right. It was not. It was not an easy transition. But I mean, you know, here during the podcast over the last couple of years, we've seen one little problem after another yep. fixed and solved yep. and move. You know, we are we, we 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 can see our progress. We really are moving forward and and getting this stuff done right. Steve Gibson uh, is a major proponent of all of this and probably has had a lot to do with it getting better and better and better. You can hear uh, 369 episodes now of Security Now on his site, grc.com. 
He's got 16 kilobit audio and transcripts of all those episodes. We've got audio and video at twit.tv slash SN for security now. GRC is also where you'll find Spinrite, the world's best hard drive and maintenance utility. All the free programs and information Steve offers. There's a ton of great stuff. It's worth browsing around. And while you're there, if you have a question about this or any of the topics we talk about on the show, you can ask it. GRC.com slash feedback for that feedback form. That's the one and only way you can ask a question for the show. Next week, we'll do a Q&A episode. Yep. And we'll have Mark Rusinovich at Ooh. the top of the show. That's exciting. Yeah. Mark Rusinovich joins us next week. Uh, for those who are watching uh, live and saying, what the heck? <laughs> we flip-flopped Mac Break Weekly and Security Now because tomorrow's the Apple uh, event, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We'll stream that live. Uh, but Steve will be back Wednesdays on his uh, usual time, 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC uh, for Security Now. Hope you'll join us live. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Leo. See you next time on Security Now. Security.